You're listening to a teaching from Vintage Church LA. This week we're hearing from lead pastor Gare Jones. If you have your Bibles, let's turn to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. And we're going to look at, a, at verse 6. A little background here. Paul is one of the leaders of the early church. And he's traveling around, starting new churches, and also encouraging churches that have been going for a couple of years. And so we pick it up in verse 6. Paul and his companions travel throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they, came to the border, when they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia, standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. We're in a series looking at why we exist as a church. Every September, we look at kind of our vision. Who are we and why are we here? And maybe you're new to vintage, and it's good for you to have an opportunity to go, why does this church exist? And the answer begins with mission. If you ask Paul, what are you doing in Philippi when he went to Macedonia? He would answer, well, God sent me. God sent me. And we feel the same thing about our church, that we are sent by God to Los Angeles to bring his gospel, his love, his grace, an encounter with Jesus that our city so desperately needs. We looked last week at the ways that we bring the gospel to our city, not just in practical demonstrations of love and practical feeding and support and homes and housing, not only through going into industries and bringing our industries and renewing them into the image of God. We also saw last week, very briefly, that one of the key ways that we bring the gospel and love our city is by helping our city consider Jesus. Helping people who don't know Jesus consider Him. Helping people who are struggling with meaning, with value, with purpose, with significance, with a sense of maybe anxiety or depression or fear or maybe just fear about the future or death. Helping people who are struggling in life, which means all of us, help them consider Jesus as the answer. You see, I don't know about you, but I look around Los Angeles and I see people struggling. Like in this passage, Paul had a vision of a man from Macedonia who looked like he had it all together and he was begging for help. That no matter the riches, the cultural education, the political strength of the Greek culture, deep down he was still begging for something to truly satisfy to find his purpose, creation in life. And it's the same thing with Los Angeles. A city that seems to have so much going for it, but we know once we get to know people in our city that they too are struggling. Struggling for significance and meaning and value and love and true friendship and purpose. 
And the question that we have is the question that Paul had. It's one thing to be sent to a city to bring the good news of Jesus, but how on earth do we do that? How do we do that? This has been a challenge that I've had, the challenge of telling others about Jesus in this cultural moment. How on earth do we tell people about Jesus? I've had many challenges to this question. The first of all is the personal challenge of, man, I don't feel equipped to do that. I don't know how to answer people's questions. I don't know. I've, I've hardly got my life together, never mind telling people about Jesus. But there are deeper challenges that I've also faced, deep experiential personal challenges, and a kind of a, a sense of opposition in my own heart to telling people about Jesus. I mean, I grew up in a church where telling us about Jesus was done sincerely, but terribly. I mean, people were kind of pressurized. People were kind of beaten up relationally. They weren't loved and respected. It was kind of prideful in how people were told about Jesus. And my experience of people telling others about Jesus seemed to be kind of reluctant Christians pressurizing defensive non-Christians. It was just like, there's nothing good happening right there. There seemed to be an unloving and a very unattractive thing to do in the church. And so I kind of didn't want to do it. And I kind of wanted to do other things in the church which seemed much more fun, like, you know, go to Bible studies or go do social justice ministry, which is awesome. But I didn't really want to tell people about Jesus. And actually, this was cemented in a particularly bad experience I had. When I was trying faithfully to tell people about Jesus, I was actually 19 at the time. I had grown up in church. Before college in the UK, we often have something called a gap year, which lots of students do before going to college, just go experience the world a bit. And I traveled a bit around the world, but also I took some time to go help volunteer at a few different churches across England and Scotland. And one particular moment, I was in a church in Scotland, in Glasgow. And they said, come on, let's go out and we want to tell people about Jesus. Glasgow is really struggling. It's a very difficult city and people are really struggling. It would be wonderful for them to consider Jesus and we can help them consider Jesus. So we all went down to the city center. We all went down to the high street in Glasgow where all the shops are, kind of like Third Street Prom. And the methodology to tell people about Jesus was something that really turns me off. But I thought, you know what, I'm helping. And what they wanted to do was get people, and particularly me, I don't know why I had a loud voice, I don't know why, but then, why don't you tell your story to the people of the high street, the promenade? I thought, this is so embarrassing. But I did think, I'm in a foreign city, no one knows me. No friends are ever going run to run into me here. So it's fine. So I was trying to kind of say, hey, folks, I want to tell the story about Jesus. And it was brutal, right? Absolutely brutal. No one stopped. Everyone looked at me strangely, as I would have done had I been seeing me as well. And then all of a sudden, I was trying to kind of speak about the great news of Jesus when nothing was happening. But a friend of mine called Barry, who I'd met at the church, a very raw Glaswegian who'd recently come to know Jesus and found him compelling and wanted other people to know. He was so upset that no one was stopping that he went over to a trash can, took off the lid of the trash can, took out the black bag, it was fairly full, tied a knot at the top and went back into the middle of the promenade. And he suddenly, I'm looking at him, what does he do? And he threw the trash in the air and then caught it. A few minutes later, he threw it again even higher and he caught it. 
And over and over again, he was throwing the trash in the air and catching it. And as he threw it in the air, people started to stop and go, what is he doing? And the more he threw, the more people stopped until eventually the whole of the busy city high street of Glasgow had gathered into a circle, about five people deep, about 200 people, looking at Barry. What is Barry doing throwing this trash in the air? And I was looking, Barry, what are you doing throwing trash in the air? And all of a sudden he threw one final time. And as it landed and he caught it, he turned to me and went, Get now, get now, preach now. So I panicked and went into the center of the crowd and started to tell my story about Jesus and dispersed the crowd as quickly as he had gathered it. Dreadful. It was so disheartening. I thought, is this it? Is this how we tell people about the wonderful Jesus? I was put off. I was scarred for life. But not only like my own experience of this doesn't seem loving. I also had cultural challenges that I grew up in a country that is more and more like LA today, which is multi-faith, multicultural, and most people would not call themselves Christians. And in that cultural time, how do you talk about your faith to others without coming across as judgmental or arrogant or superior? I didn't want to do that. None of my friends were Christians, amazing friends, and I never wanted to make them feel that I was above them or superior to them, or there was something wrong with them. Also, it was difficult because Christianity at that time, and increasingly here, is now in the minority. It moved from majority to minority, and so it felt that we were on the defensive. In fact, not only were you were the minority, but it had moved from being a worldview, a spirituality that had been respected, to now it was disrespected. Most of my friends would actually look down upon Christianity as something that was unloving and unaccepting. It was something that was maybe hypocritical. And I'll be really honest, I empathized with them because I'd seen and been disheartened by the church and saw hypocrisy, and saw unloving behavior, and saw arrogance and pride, and it really put me off. But it was hard to go, I'm living and working in this environment. What does it mean to want people to consider Jesus? I don't want to force him upon anyone, but as we're looking at the questions of life, as people are searching for meaning and satisfaction, as they're looking into, is there a God? I want people to at least consider Jesus. At the same time, I kind of feel that I need to do the opposite of telling people. I need to kind of stay quiet. I was afraid of what would happen. I felt like I had to be undercover. I remember this was very much emphasized one day when I was working in a company in Switzerland, Geneva. So there's people all across Europe there. We all didn't know each other very well. And that was the newbie. And we were in a room, an open plant office environment with lots of cubicles in country teams. And there's, the room was about twice the size as this downstairs and with about two to 300 people working on it. And I was getting away, working ahead, you know, and suddenly behind me, I, I had this tap on my shoulder. And I looked around, I'd never met this guy before, and I said, hello? And he reached into, he leaned in very quietly, and he said, I hear you are one of us. 
I went, I'm sorry, clearly German, uh, from the German team. I'd never met him before. I went, I, I'm, really so, I'm really sorry, can I help you? He said, I hear you are one of us. <laughs> I'm so sorry, I don't know what you mean. And he said, leaned in a bit closer and whispered and said, you worship the king, yeah? <laughs> I go, what? I go, oh, yeah, yes, 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 I've, I follow Jesus, yes. He goes, we are not alone. <laughs> and then I go, really? I said, he said, yes, look. And we looked up above the cubicle, and just as we looked up, this guy across the room looked up. <laughs> I went my dad again. That was the day I met Siegbert Repisch from, from Germany and Justin from England, who was the other undercover follower of Jesus across the room. Then we would meet regularly, but we did feel this is hard. We want people to at least consider Jesus. They're considering other things. We want people to consider Jesus. I know they've been put off by the church. I know they've been put off by maybe anti-intellectualism, which I think is so not Jesus. And they've been put off with all these other things. But at the heart of it, we wanted people to realize, yes, maybe throw off your experience of the church, but just take a look at Jesus. How do we do that? When actually it feels like we have to be undercover. <laughs> when we may lose our friends or maybe lose our social status or maybe lose relationships or maybe even lose people's respect if we say we follow Jesus. And this is the tension that we all face. Is there a way that we can actually help our city consider Jesus afresh without it being unloving, hypocritical, without it being something that actually may be embarrassing and maybe even social or relational suicide. You see, we're living in a tension of trying to help people consider Jesus in ways that don't reflect our current cultural moment. The church has not caught up with how we help people consider Jesus, and so we're out of step with this cultural moment. I've got a slide here that shows from the 1950s what it was like to help someone consider Jesus. By the way, all of these slides are my terrible graphics. Don't blame our graphic department. Our graphic department. This is just me. But see, in the 1950s, if someone had a spiritual question, they would have a latent understanding of Jesus, the gospel, a positive attitude towards the church. And actually, they often would believe it, but it was never meaningful for them personally. They hadn't actually made a personal decision. So yeah, there was a phrase of, have you made a personal decision? And helping people discover Jesus was actually crystallizing that moment for people, having a convictional moment. And so you had lots of methodologies that would simply help people go, hey, I know you're busy. I know you're trying to kind of just live your life and grow your career and stay married. But hey, you've got to at some point think about the big questions of life. Can I just ask you, and this is the common phrase, can I just ask you, where do you think you'll go when you die? right? Now that question meant something. And maybe it was done in a much more significant way. And maybe it was that question was done through a crusade at a stadium. Remember that language? Amazing Billy Graham. And that meant something. It was meaningful, but it assumed it was only meaningful and helpful because it was built on a foundation of a lot of latent understanding. 
People thought Jesus was true. They, re- they respected the church. They knew what the gospel meant. They just hadn't really engaged with it. But times moved on from the 50s, and telling others became more complex. See, in the 1970s and 80s, suddenly you had more obstacles in the way of people considering Jesus. When people had a spiritual question, yes, the church was popular. Yes, they respected the church still in Jesus. But now the church felt irrelevant. It was like Christianity was boring. It was irrelevant. Church services were dull and dry. And then with multiculturalism and the expansion of immigration, that you met other people of different faiths, and it was like, well, why is my faith true and not that person's faith true? When my best friends is like, well, my best friends are Muslim growing up, as it was in my town. And it's like, well, why am I can't assume any longer that Christianity is just the truth. And so what we did was help people in the 70s, 80s by overcoming or just at least helping them with these obstacles so that they could consider Jesus. So a lot of books came out to explain the evidence for Jesus, that you can't just take it as read. Yes, there is evidence. So remember books like The Case for Christ and Evidence That Demands a Verdict and things like this. Wonderful books written for this cultural moment in the 80s. You also had churches going, yeah, we are a bit dull, aren't we? We are a bit boring. Um, And then the seeker-sensitive movement was birthed. You know, let's make church really fun and engaging and relevant to life. And lots of people started to preach sermons that were much more life-applicable. How to have a great marriage, how to get out of debt, how to raise your kids, how Jesus will help you with these things. And in fact, lots of people found Jesus that way. But guess what? Things have moved on. And in 2022, we have a whole different task ahead of us. And we know this, it rings true in our hearts, right? People still have spiritual questions. They are still longing for the big questions of life. They are still yearning. Leisure, pleasure, treasure doesn't ultimately satisfy and give you the meaning and value and significance and eternal life that you hoped for. But in that context of questioning, people aren't willing to consider Jesus. In fact, there's so much obstacle in the way, they will absolutely consider other things first. If at all, even consider Jesus. The toxicity of the church and politics and church, the toxicity of people's experiences, the, like the health and wealth kind of over-prosperity of churches getting rich on the backs of poverty. People actually not wanting to be preached and told the truth, but postmodernism has meant that we want to discover it for ourselves. It has to feel like it's working for something to be true, so much more experiential. Distrust of people giving kind of authoritative sermons from the front. Massive questions that I can't ask questions in this environment, so I'll never move forward. And So what we find is, you know this as well as I do, in a city like LA, we have people who may have spiritual questions, but the last place they'll look is Jesus. And they'll much more commonly look in places like the exercise gurus, or crystals, or meditation, or nature, or in and out, or wherever it may be. This is the tension that we're living in. I am very excited by this because I think, wow, what a great opportunity for us to understand our friends, understand our colleagues, understand our neighbor, empathize with them. I I mean, I do empathize with them and go, yeah, the church and its bad behavior has got in the way of Jesus. But how do we then 
Help other people consider Jesus. When this is the cultural moment we're living in. In other words, on this slide here, I say to myself, is there a way to tell others about Jesus that isn't pushy, super awkward, preachy, disrespectful, judgy, arrogant, unloving, unkind, cheesy, shaming, super difficult, or social suicide? Is there a way to do that? In my experience, as I had to manage this tension, I found a couple of things that were really helpful I want to suggest to you. See, I too had been for years in that environment where I didn't know what I believed. I was what is now known as deconstructing my faith. In those days, it was unpolitely called backsliding. Remember that word? <laughs> but I was a backslider to many people. I'd left the church completely. I was angry at church, angry at pastors. And I was living the life of a young city lawyer in London for a few years thinking, I'm going to go my own way. But I did have big spiritual questions still. I did have a, a gnawing away of, is there a God? Who is this God? And the last thing that I wanted was to be dragged to church. I would never go. The last thing I wanted was another sermon by a pastor. The last thing was just to be judged on the street with someone like me in my early days telling me what to believe. But I discovered two things which I want to suggest to you, how we can move forward together, and how you can help people in your life consider Jesus. And the first thing is this, friendship. Friendship. Jesus was first and foremost a friend of what the Bible calls sinners, which is a word that's been badly interpreted, but basically people who don't know God. He was a friend. He loved them. He didn't shout from the rooftops. He didn't go into the streets. He actually befriended people, loved them. He ate with them. He, in a healthy way, partied with them. He became their friend. And what you find is, what happened to Jesus can happen to us, in that, and that is this. People would look at the life of Jesus, experience the life of Jesus, experience his friendship, and it would cause curiosity as to what was behind this way of being a friend. It would cause curiosity into, huh, there's something different about you. And what I found is friendship tends to do this, in the next slide, tends to do this to your friends who are running away from church. It tends to stop, and actually for them to take seriously, that your faith is different. That there's something about you, how you handle the difficulties of life, how you handle rejection, how you work through your dreams and your future, how you spend your finances, how you determine what you're going to do with your body. How all these things in following the way of Jesus will eventually cause people to be curious. You will give them and the gospel credibility that when they're going through a difficult life, they will look to their friends and go, how do you face this? I had so many friends in the companies that I worked with who had a very bad view of Christianity and Christians. And I took it upon myself, 
Not to push Jesus down their throat at all. Gosh, I want to be their friend. But I did put, give myself a challenge of this. People loved Jesus. I wonder if I can be the first Christian that my friends actually like. If I can be the first, Christians that, first Christian in their life that they may respect. I wonder if I can be the first Christian in their life that they trust. And over time, what I found is by just loving them, being open about my faith at the appropriate time, never pushing it down their throat at all, ever. In fact, I never said anything unless they asked. And it sometimes shocked them. I think one of the best things is to come out as a Christian to your friends. And one of the best ways to come out as a Christian is when people say, what did you do this weekend? Right? I used to mess with their brains so much because I'd say, which is normally my normal pattern as a single bloke in London, would be, yeah, man, went to the pub Friday night, woke up Saturday morning, went to watch Fulham football as a season ticket uh, holder at Fulham. We then went out to the pub afterwards. Then we went out clubbing in the evening. And then, but the best of it all was Sunday morning was off the hook. Church was amazing. Then we went back to the pub and had an amazing lunch. And then I got ready for church the next day. And they go, whoa, hang on, hang on, hang on, time out. The best of your weekend was church on Sunday morning. It would mess with them, but it was true. But it would just go, oh my word, here's a Christian who loves their faith. And then over time, when they would hit tragedy or trauma or tension in their life, I found them coming to me, not because of anything that I'm good at, but they could see, and I think they could see in me, something deeper around these issues. People would actually turn and maybe consider Jesus through your life, which is why it's so important to follow Jesus, not just believe in Jesus, right? Jesus says, they'll know you by your deeds, right? In this city, you will be this light in the darkness when you are following Jesus in ways that are radically beautiful but radically different. This city is looking for difference, not a Christian to assimilate. Because they know they don't have the answers. Why are you joining us? Do you have a different story that may be a better one? And I think that's what you can just simply do amongst your friends. Live a different story, the, different, the story of Jesus, and it will help them reconsider Jesus. But here's the next slide, because what I found is you're still in trouble, because people can turn around, but what about all of that? What about people's view of church, their questions, the toxicity they've grown up with, their own self-discovery? What I found is it's none of us feel qualified to help someone get over all of that. And that's certainly my experience. And so what do we do? Well, this next slide comes up with all the traditional answers. Well, invite them to a stadium with an amazing speaker. Well, that may work for some, but it wasn't going to work for me or my friends. That felt very much one directional. And felt a bit like it was just 1950s assuming I knew much. What about friendship event? Like just like 
helping them day by day with their questions. Well, we rarely see people enough nowadays to go on a consistent journey with people. What about church services? Well, maybe for some, but I was never going to go back to church. And my friends would never set foot in a church. I was basically stuck. I could do the first bit, but I didn't know how to help people over all of these obstacles. And maybe you're in the same place today. Until someone helped me. They invited me to something which wasn't church on Sunday, but it was a space that a church offered for people like me to go on a journey where I could explore for myself what I thought with other people who were also on a journey of questioning and exploring. That place was what we run here in the fall and in the spring. It's something called Alpha, a safe space for people to explore the big questions of life, to explore Jesus, to explore faith in a safe, non-judgmental way, where there's no preaching, no pressure, no judgment. But it felt loving. It felt respectful. And when I went on Alpha, there was like 800 people who were there. And this is what happened to me. In my own clumsy, <laughs> angry, kind of cynical, and I was really cynical. And actually, for the first few weeks of Alpha, I was really annoying. I was just wanting to press all these buttons of these people. But what was interesting, I was loved and I was respected. I was empathized with. And I was with fellow travelers and fellow questioners that eventually I was able to see through my hurts, see through and get help with questions so I could consider Jesus. It took me a while. I remember the first night I was petrified about going to Alpha because I thought it's going to be full of Christians with their big Bibles hitting me over the head, right? And yeah, I turned up and there was about 800 people I'd caught the tube from the city of London. I was in my pinstripe lawyer suit and I turned up and I just thought I'm going to be around people in kind of 1980s flip-flops and shorts and Christian gear, right? But there were people just like me coming from work. And actually they were all seemingly non-churchy people. I remember sitting in the group and I was really worried it was full of Christians and I thought, could I be honest? Could I be myself? Could I really explain where I'm at? And then we went around the, the moderator of the group just said, hey, let's introduce ourselves and, hey, just tell us a bit about your spiritual place right now. I was so relieved. The first three people, I was so excited. They went, atheist, atheist, atheist. I went, oh, phew. The next person said agnostic. The next person said Muslim. And then the next person said witch. I thought, this is going to be a great group. <laughs> this is going to be awesome. And it was awesome. Lots of friendship, lots of honest conversation, lots of real talk. I'd never had real talk in church before. And the moderator was the only Christian of the group. And what was even better, the moderator wasn't allowed to say what he thought against the rules, just to listen. I went on that journey. And over that journey of the evening format is simple, a wonderful food, listened to a short talk about Jesus from someone who was very intellectual, had some helpful things to say, and then honest conversation in the group. Over those eight weeks, I got to a place where I could seriously reconsider Jesus again. I'm now on my 40th Alpha course, which shows you I'm still meandering my way through. 
But I want to invite you to bring someone to Alpha this fall. I want to particularly ask you to pray about who in your life God has placed, that He's put you in their life specifically, that you can help them consider Jesus. You've got to believe that people are hungry. Leisure, pleasure, treasure has been proven not to satisfy. You do know that, don't you? That people are still hungry for the meaning of life. And all we're trying to do is, in that context of questioning, help people consider Jesus. Alpha is a series of eight weeks where we go on this journey together. It's very safe. Lots of people. Before Alpha, we had over like 300 people. It's dinner, short talk, conversation. And because I'm English, we have the pub afterwards just to get to know each other. Who's it for? I say it's for three people. For people who would say, I'm not a Christian. And in fact, no way am I a Christian, but I do want to explore what I believe. I do want to explore life and the big questions of life. Or it could be for people who have major doubts about their faith. Maybe they've moved to LA and gone, oh my word, I don't know what I believe. I know what I was told to believe, but I'm re-questioning everything. Well, come to Alpha, a safe space to question. Don't throw it all away, but maybe a safe space to look at Jesus and see what you believe. And then thirdly, it's for people who may be bringing one of those two. Because I remember when I brought friends, they wouldn't come unless I came with them. Some of my friends didn't want me to come with them. I don't know what that said about me as a friend. But they did say, some wanted me to come. Now, it's not, there's not a fourth category. You can't come to Alpha if, you, if you're a Christian and you're fairly doing well and you're not bringing someone else. Because frankly, you ruin Alpha. Because no one wants to bring their friend who's maybe, as my you know, a colleague in the law firm, I don't want to put them in a group full of Christians who feel they're the best God's answer for telling others. No, they want safety. So we, we have enough Christians to help people with their questions. We don't need just guests. So we have lots of other things at Vintage for you. But we do have something called the Alpha Launch Night that I want to invite you to bring a friend to. See, it's a, it's a big deal. It's a big commitment for Christian, non-Christians to go, I'll do eight weeks of Alpha. I would never have done that. So what we do is we do a launch night where it's a big party. It's lots of fun. It's in support of Harvest Home, a great charity. They come and give a presentation because we want people to see that Christians love our city indeed and not just in word. And then I give a little 10 minutes on what Alpha is. And then they can decide for themselves if they want to come back. We then have the pub, and it's a great night. It's a safe space just to invite your friends. Right? It's a really safe space to invite your friends. All you have to do is bring someone to the Alpha launch night. In fact, all you have to do is text them. Here's a text that I composed for you. <laughs> right? This is me clunkily suggesting a text. Hey! Do you want to come to a fun launch night for Alpha on Tuesday? Great night for people just to check out Alpha and it's in support of a great charity called Harvest Home. Will be fun. <laughs> right? We're so, I understand, we are petrified of telling others about Jesus and I've been there. I want to reduce the fear by simply asking, hey, bring some friends to a fun launch night. That's not that difficult.
and we'll do the rest. We'll do the rest. It's on September the 20th from 7 till 9. These little cards on your chair are there not just to annoy you, but they are there for you to write down three names of people you can pray for and say, Lord, who have you put in my life that I may be the person that can just help them explore Jesus? And I'll try and bring three of them or at least bring one of them to the Alpha launch night. And here's the thing. I was in business and corporate world for 13 years. I was petrified the first time I brought one of my colleagues to Alpha. Just as much as I was petrified about bringing them to church, I thought they would have a bad experience of Christians beating them up. I was so loved then, the church I was at in London, they knew what it was like to create a safe environment where anybody would have a great time. And that's my promise to you. I, every friend from the law firm or from my business I would bring to Alpha, they had a great time and thanked me afterwards for inviting them. And that's my promise to you. Which is why I even do the playlist, because there's no Michael W. Smith sneaking into the playlist, <laughs> right? It's why I design everything, because I know what it's like to be fearful about going to any event. And so I make sure it's a really fun experience for everyone. But it relies on you to bring your friends. I can't do that. All I can do is create the environment where people can feel safe to maybe go on a journey to explore Jesus. Thanks for joining us for another week. We'd love to connect with you at one of our gatherings or online at vintagechurchla.com.